Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering Hurricane Idalia. As cleanup from the storm is underway in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis says we should stop politicizing natural disasters. Plus, the psychology of insurance fraud. Dr. Kelly Richmond Pope discusses a new study from the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud that explores who commits insurance fraud and why. But first, cleanup and recovery is now underway in Florida after Category 3 Hurricane Idalia made landfall last week in the state's Big Bend region. Loss of life and power disruptions paled in comparison to Hurricane Ian, the last major hurricane that struck the state nearly a year ago. But preliminary insured property loss estimates in Florida were projected to run $9.36 billion, according to investment bank UBS. Florida governor and presidential candidate Ron DeSantis left the campaign trail as Adelia approached the Gulf Coast. He said in a press conference over the weekend that hurricanes have hit Florida long before the current era, and the notion that hurricanes are, quote, something new is just false. While severe weather will be part of the discussion in Congress this week, as the Senate Banking Committee holds a hearing to discuss perspectives and challenges in the property insurance market and the impact on consumers. NAMIC has submitted testimony to explain the industry's view on the confluence of factors contributing to the availability and affordability of insurance across the country. Those factors range from climate and severe weather, to inflation and the reinsurance market, to regulatory hurdles and legal system abuse. With these major risk events all occurring at the same time, NAMIC notes in its testimony that significant disruptions are affecting all lines of business, all types of policyholders, and virtually every part of the country, with certain regions more impacted than others. After detailing the factors affecting property casualty insurance across the board, the association also presented solutions to improve markets and maintain a fair and efficient regulatory environment. The hearing is scheduled for September 6th, and NAMIC will share its full testimony following the discussion. Louisiana Insurance Commissioner-elect Tim Temple is walking into an insurance crisis in his state. Temple will take over for Commissioner Jim Donilon in January, but told media last week that he's already working to bring record high insurance rates down for state residents. Temple says his goal is to increase availability and affordability. 
you know, everybody talks about the hurricanes that we've had, you know, and now we're talking about the, you know, we've had, we have flooding on, on a regular basis, and now we've got wildfires. It, it's not the weather. It's not the weather component. We can't do anything about it, so we can't, we shouldn't try and say, oh, we've got to do something about hurricanes. What we can do is we have control over our regulatory environment in the state of Louisiana, and we have control over our statutory, our legal environment in the state. And so I'm going to focus on that. You can't regulate st uh, premium decreases, and you can't mandate premium decreases. The only thing you can do that's going to be lasting is create a competitive environment so that more companies come in. And when more companies come to Louisiana, you have choices. And when you have choices, that's when you see rates go down. You know, we want companies to come in. We want them to be vibrant. We want them to make money because you can't pay claims if you don't make money. You know, you've got to have a profit. But at the same time, we're going to make sure that they handle their business right, that they have proper reinsurance, that they have financial resources to handle ca catastrophic claims. Uh, if we're talking about homeowners, we're talking about auto, we're going to make sure that they come in. They've got a fair playing field. Um, but we're, all, we're going to hold them accountable. Temple is actually scheduled to talk with NAMIX Insurance Uncovered in the coming weeks. We hope to bring you more about his plan to turn around the insurance crisis and make Louisiana an attractive state for insurance companies to do business. Well, with the economic impact of insurance fraud registering a staggering $308.6 billion every year, the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud recently conducted a new study seeking to understand the psychology behind consumers' view of fraud, its criminality, and its impact on their lives. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldrich talks with the research author, Dr. Kelly Richmond-Pope, about who the report found is most likely to commit insurance fraud and why. Joining me today on the Insurance Unscripted portion of the podcast is Dr. Kelly Richmond-Pope, She's a professor of accounting at DePaul University in Chicago and a nationally recognized expert in risk, forensic accounting, and white-collar crime research, which is kind of the topic of our discussion here. She has partnered with the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud uh, in a new study uh, that dives into the psychology behind who commits insurance fraud and why, and that's what we're going to explore today. NAMIC is a member of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud. And we know that many member companies also are long uh, suffering from insurance fraud, but also members of the coalition. And so we wanted to spend a little time this morning talking about the study, uh, some of its findings. It's a little bit different take than some of, some of the other uh, research that's been done. So it's a pretty interesting look at the topic. So, Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the study and, you know, kind of how you got involved with the coalition. But this is a little little bit different take than some of the normal, you know, just how much insurance fraud there is. It has a little, little different bent to it. So talk about that with us. So the study was um, two parts. Uh, the first part was really um, analyzing and understanding or better understanding the industry. The second part is what I um, had the honor of participating in, and that was taking a deep dive and interviewing perpetrators that have committed insurance fraud and trying to understand their why. And um, I found that to be very helpful and, and very eye-opening. So in my... Um, professional life, I um, do on-camera interviews with a variety of people, those being some perpetrators, some being victims, and some um, being um, whistleblowers. And so 
I think that the coalition found out about just my prior experience in the space and the fraud space in general, and that's how I became involved in the study. That's great. Um, so let's talk about one of the most interesting findings, at least one of the, to me, was the generational research that was done in the study. The look at how different age groups view the question of insurance fraud or their acceptance of it. So talk about some of those differences that we found and, and just explore that with us. So what was, um, I would say, the most eye-opening um, was this generational difference. And I think it was eye-opening, not so much because we think younger people, Gen Zs, are um, less experienced and less savvy. I found it more eye-opening because I find this generation to be more socially minded, um, mm -hmm. more socially charged. Um, and more, um, they definitely grew up, have grown up in a generation where um, I think activism is a little some part of the DNA of this of this um, age group. And so to to find that these civic civically minded, the civically minded generation is more likely to engage in insurance fraud in comparison to other generations. I found that to be pretty shocking because um, you think about uh uh, these these this generation caring about animal rights, caring about the environment, you know, caring mm -hmm. about equal rights. And so it's it was eye opening because uh, this idea that the corporation um, is bad and the probably just the underpinnings of capitalism is bad. And so if we can get over, we should was um, a shocking revelation um, to me, at least. Yeah, you know, we also see there's some interesting research not on this topic, but about juries and their behavior. And there's a big generational difference in jury behavior too. Uh, that's similar, has a similar attitude towards corporations whenever they view, whenever they uh, determine awards and those kind of things, damage amounts, et cetera. So it's kind of a similar kind of thing that also bleeds over into this insurance fraud question. It's, it really is kind of a fascinating uh you know, discussion about the generational perceptions on lots of things. Yeah. And, you know, this this concept of fairness is um, is interesting because I think this generation um, looks at fairness in a different way. And so I think when you are talking about taking from a large multinational corporation, um, this idea that they have too much, um, the prices are too high. Yeah. Um, if you can get over, you should, because yeah. they're already getting over on us. And, um, you know, there's, um, there's a, definitely a culture, um, um, a culture imbalance here. And so I, I just find it, I found it very interesting. I remember when the coalition sent me the draft of the study and I was reading it and I was like, huh, you know, because that's that's the population of students I teach. Yeah. So this study is talking about my my students. <laughs> and so, you know, and but I also am teaching future accountants. So I'm yeah. teaching future CPAs, those that should have a fiduciary responsibility to society. So to think that they are thinking this, it was really interesting for me to be like, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't know. What, what do I how do I need to adjust <laughs> to really yeah. deal with the population that I spend so much time working with? Yeah, it's, it really is an interesting look. So let's talk just a minute about the pandemic. Obviously, it, it, you know, we'd like to think it's behind us, but it certainly 
uh, affected people's attitudes about a whole number of topics. Uh, and one of them, it looks like also maybe some insurance fraud uh, questions might have changed during that time, too. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm going through personally, e- just right now, um, an interesting insurance claim in my in my own life. Um, we had heavy rains mm-hmm. and um, we had a flood in our basement. And so we had um, a remediation service come out. And um, what this remediation service did is they were like, you know, oh, let us let us deal directly with your insurance company. And so what that allowed them to do was to manipulate how much they could charge. So once mm-hmm. they find out your policy amount, then they're able to just tack on all of these charges. And so as I'm going through this itemized bill, I'm saying this isn't right and this isn't right and this mm-hmm. is overcharged. And so I uh, ended up setting up a meeting with my insurance company and went through that invoice with them. And then they determined that they significantly overcharge. And so, you know, you 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 see some of these things happening in your own personal life and I think about had I not had the due diligence to go through and look at the bill and say, "Wait. This is not categorized right." Um, but you see how the system is gamed. So I, I bring that example up because what the pandemic did is because so many of the traditional protocols were relaxed in order to get money to um, businesses, small business owners as well, it was easy for anybody to say, you know what, instead of saying I have three employees, I'm going to say I have 10 employees. And instead of saying I only have $250,000 in sales, I'm going to say I have $3 million in sales because the amount of money that went to the person was based on those variables. And there was no way to check those variables. So when there's no checks and balances, you can say whatever you want. And so that's what I really saw run rampant um, during the pandemic. And you're seeing the result of people being prosecuted now from that type of behavior. Yeah, that's it's fascinating, you know, kind of partnering of those attitudes spilling over into other areas. You're right. I mean, a lot of people would just sort of see your bill from your restoration company and probably not even think about it. Right. Somebody mm-hmm. else is paying it. So what do I care? Whatever they charge them. Um, that attitude is really kind of at the heart of what some of the problems are here. Absolutely. And and that when we think about the significant losses um, that are due to insurance fraud, you can see, I mean, even my little example is small, but think about if my example is multiplied by 10,000 other cl- customers, sure. you know, so those losses amount. So it, it definitely takes um, a level of due diligence from the consumer to really say, wait a minute. Uh, there's no way that this little amount of water created this level of um, services that you're claiming. So, yeah, yeah. it can. But it, it's it's easy. To, most systems you can game. And and this one is it, this one is an easy one to game. Yeah. Right. Because it gets to that question. That a lot of people have the attitude and it was talked about in the study, the the old victimless crime thing. Right. Where th- there's nobody who are we harming. Right. And, you know, and I think um, it's hard to allow people to believe that a company is a victim, you know, because but what we are. But I think what the language has to be is don't if you don't want to think about the company as a victim, fine. But what happens when the company is a victim, they just share pass those costs on to you and I. Mm -hmm. So we then become the victim. So, you know, 
so there's a there's a like an assembly line of victims. So everyone is on there, but ultimately we pay the price. So it's why I think we all should care a lot more about what happens in this industry. No, for sure. I mean, it's it, 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 insurance is fairly simple. It's, you know, how much does something cost and how many people do you have in the pool? And eventually that math goes back to the people that are policyholders paying for, you know, the cost, whatever that cost may be. Um, you know, and so that's fraud. It's certainly uh, part of that, that, you know, it's a one of those, what do they call it, a silent tax or something like that, where it's not really evident, but it's in, it's in there. It's right? embedded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it certainly affects everybody's rates and we all pay for it. And the other interesting phenomenon, of course, especially in our membership, the mutual segment of the property casualty industry, most of the companies are exactly not the multinational faceless conglomerate, right? That's not who they are. That's right. Um, you know, you know, they're local in many cases in in communities that are, you know, that they are who, you know, they they are you, right? In many cases, mm-hmm. and so the the perception of who the industry is is also not accurate. But uh, I think it definitely drives people's behaviors here. So let's talk a little bit more about the study itself. We can wander lots of places here, uh, but. Um, what what some of the other key findings? I'm curious about what some of your interviews showed you. Some of some of those kind of things that when yeah. you, you you interviewed people that actually had committed insurance yes. fraud and got yes. some insight into their psychology. Yeah. So and um the study is great because each of the interviews are very very different. So there was one uh, interview and um all the names sort of slipped my mind at this point. But there was one inter- interview of a young gentleman who he was in his mid 20s and had an issue when he uh, rented a car. And you know when you go to the car rental dealership and they are car rental uh, place and you're at the counter and they say, "Do you want the insurance policy or right. not?" Right. And he um thought that the car that he rented had insurance on it. Now, I'm making a very long story short, but I'll just end it by saying his insurance fraud claim or issue started from a mistake. He had um, filled out some paperwork and then uh, changed something on the paperwork and then uploaded it to uh, this this uh, either uploaded it and sent it as an email and the insurance company came back and flagged it as, you know, something is wrong here. Something seems to be uh, misstated. And it was a very minor uh, uh, issue, but it led to this big, big ordeal. Now, he never did any uh, jail time, but he did. He does have a felony charge and he mm-hmm. was in his 20s. And so just just fighting the insurance company. um Having to get a lawyer, all of that was just a very stressful situation from him, for him. His story stuck with me because I rent cars and I see every time I'm asked, "Do yeah. you want the insurance policy?" You know, you you. It made me realize how little I know about what I'm what my insurance policy covers when I rent a car. He was he was more one of the more uh, normal, if you will, uh, cases. And um, my, I, I just wrote a book uh, called Fool Me Once. And so what I do in my book is I talk about the types of perpetrators. You can either be an accidental perpetrator, an intentional perpetrator, or a righteous perpetrator. This story that I'm talking about, this gentleman was definitely an accidental perpetrator. He didn't mean to do it. The cases that were really just shocking, the interviews that were shocking, were the ones that I categorize as intentional perpetrators. Uh-huh. There's a woman out of Florida who had a whole business set up based 
to based on defrauding the insurance company. She had contractors, subcontractors. So so in a situation like I'm in right now with my uh, mini flood in my house, she would say, you know what? Let me show you how you can get a whole new basement, all new bathroom mm-hmm. by just pretending. Let me make sh- make it look like you had a flood here. You had some water damage here. I could probably show that you had some ceiling water damage and you can get all these things. And so she she had a whole operation yeah. of, of appraisers. And I was and I had the, uh, the opportunity to interview her while she was um, in uh, in, um, the county jail. So she comes in, her attorney's there, the prosecutor's there, and she comes in in her orange jumpsuit. And you could tell that she really didn't want to talk about it, nor own up to what her role was in the Mm -hmm. insurance fraud, because she was like, And, and, you know, the insurance, the insurance uh, companies aren't fair. So this is our way of getting fairness. And so that's how she justified it. So um, I'd had two interviews where people I would classify as intentional perpetrators and um, those that set out to defraud and they know exactly how to game the system. And so um, there was one in the um, construction business and then there was one in um, like um, the medical business. So, um, uh, surgery and, and healthcare. There was one person that I categorized um, as a righteous perpetrator, and this woman um, had what she she and her boyfriend uh, were riding in a car, and um, there was an accident, and the boyfriend suffered some um, injuries, and all of the insurance. Um, all of his all of his needs weren't covered by insurance. So what she said to him was, I know this industry well. I can manipulate your paperwork in order so you can get more charges covered or more services covered. And then that was flagged. And so her I call her a righteous perpetrator because she did this to help someone and and right. she knew it was wrong, but she did it to help someone. So the interviews are really fascinating. And I think whenever you have the opportunity to understand the why behind whatever someone is doing, it gives you not only um, insight on how to set internal controls around um, a, an organization or a system, but it also um, just gives you more insight on how some people can think and how many people agree with how they think. That's yeah. also interesting too. Yeah, there's two things there I wanted to explore. One, just talk a minute about the numbers. What was it, 35% or so of people that were, I think it was 24 or 25 and younger? I think oh, that was the number, didn't think that insurance fraud was a crime, right? Absolutely, That's and that's concerning, right? Yeah. And and I think when you you can quote it one of two ways, you know, you can quote it from the percentage or you can quote it from the dollar of the, the dollar figure. Uh-huh. I think sometimes when we quote the percentage, you know, if we say 35 percent, you know, it may not sound like a lot. But when you equate that to dollars, millions and millions and millions of dollars, then you're like, wow, OK, maybe I should definitely pay attention. Yeah, no doubt. And then the other thing there is I was going to ask you about you mentioned it briefly just there in some of your response, but uh, what, from a company perspective, what would you tell, you know, people that are running insurance companies that they ought to think about in terms of how they might deal with the fraud question? What what role can they play? What messages can they put out into the world? Uh, and what even some operational things could they think about from the study? You know, I I really think insurance companies would benefit from really um, dissecting the customer experience because it's it's the 
it's the um it's the 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 customer experience whether that be positive or negative but it's if it's negative that's what's creating this i don't care about insurance companies i'll take what i can get and mm-hmm. so if we i think there's a there is a lack of communication or understanding in the role that insurance companies play in your daily lives. So I think that there's definitely some public service opportunity, public service announcement opportunities for the uh, insurance companies, because I think consumers, the consumer experience, understanding the consumer experience is missing. I want to add to that by saying I've always found the insurance industry to be very, very complicated. So Mm -hmm. if there is a way to simplify things so that people truly understand what their policies cover, whether that's auto, whether that's health. I mean, I would say the average person walking down the street, they may have a policy. They have no idea what it covers. No idea what it covers. And so how can we make that more simplified? Because there's, there is, um, there's a, a there's too much lack of understanding, and I think that 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 goes back to just not um, embracing the customer, the user experience, the customer experience for these companies. And I think that there is work to be done there. Um, I also think that um, thinking about who the insurance companies partner with, and thinking about how fraud can happen, just with the example that I gave, when you have a provider working directly with a customer's insurance policy, that just opens the door for fraud. So where are the checks and balances to make sure that what that service provider said actually happened, happened? Where Mm -hmm. is the checks and balance there? Because when you remove the customer out of the equation and it's just provider and insurance company, if you tell me my policy is $40,000, I can easily write up an invoice that's $40,000 and you're going to send me that check and I'm going to go on about my way. What right. if I only had $15,000 worth of damage, but right. I just was able to write my invoice up in a way. So I think that there's just um, thinking about how you engage with your um, providers is really, really important. Yeah, that's really good advice uh, for people. And it's the financial literacy, understanding what insurance is and what it covers and and just understanding what you're even buying uh, in terms of a risk transfer versus a benefit amount. Right. Um, and and people that that plagues our industry. It shows itself in lots of areas, uh, whether it be in fraud or whether it be in just a lack of understanding about how the insurance mechanism works. It's something that it is complicated um, and it is there is a it's a contractual document. Right. And so there's legal language in there that sure. is hard to explain and hard to understand. Uh, and we need to do better as an industry and you know we need to do better as a country and sort of educating people about Absolutely. the role of insurance and just financial literacy, generally speaking, is a problem in our society. But it definitely leads to that. Oh, well, I mean. What do I care about? You know, the, the I know I had this dent in my car, but now that I have an accident, I'm going to get the old thing. Get the dent, right. Yeah, just, right. 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 You know, and you, you think about um, the industries that have been disrupted. Um, uh, think about when TurboTax came, you know, when that was brought on the market and what TurboTax did was simplify the tax code. Um, you think about some of the the mortgage loan companies that are now online. They've simplified the process. So I do think there is room for 
definitely education on what these policies are, but but we should understand what we're paying for. And I think yeah. far too many of us don't. And because we don't understand it, it makes us say, eh, I'll take what I can get if I can get it because I don't yeah. understand it anyway. I think right. it's just a waste of money. It doesn't cover me for anything. And so there's a lack of understanding yeah. um, on the side of the consumer that I think that the industry needs to work on. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then the study does a great job, I think, in in looking at examining some of those attitudes and how they affect the industry in a real way. So thanks for your work on it. Thanks for your time today uh, in terms of joining the podcast. And and we hope that you can do some more work uh, on this mm-hmm. topic uh, with the coalition or with others in the industry. It's, a, it's an interesting topic. Uh, it is something that definitely affects uh, the industry in a real way and then consumers in a real way. Uh, so it's I, I would recommend anybody to take a look at it and maybe learn some things about how we might address this question of fraud in the industry. So thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on September 20th for a very special episode featuring highlights from NAMIC's 128th Annual Convention. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.